0: Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for another morning and the opportunity to be in your word back to the book of Exodus. And yet, Father, seeing how you are bringing salvation to your people in revelation, the emphasis is upon the God who saves And so as we study the whole Bible, bringing us to the point of revelation, God, that that is what we see and experience is that whether it is Abraham not knowing where he's going or the people of Israel in their rebellion or anything else. God, it is it is your mighty hand working in the lives of your people. We thank you for that. May that be our testimony, Father, that you are mighty to save us. And Father, today we ask that, that through Exodus 14, as we see, that we would yet understand this even more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn to Exodus chapter 14. Back to the book of Exodus chapter 14. Last week we saw... Uh, the beginning of the Exodus, the people are set free. They are now on their way with, with chapter 13, but today we'll go into chapter 14, a passage that I know that you've heard of, or I'm pretty sure that you've heard of, with the crossing of the Red Sea, where God splits the waters and they walk through on dry land. What a miracle, one of the coolest stories. It's one that they surely don't miss in children's Bibles because a picture of the of the sea being parted is such a cool sight but such a dynamic story on God being able to do whatever God wants to do. Church, I want us to be a people who understand that God is God, and God can do absolutely whatever He pleases. There is not a piece of power, an emphasis of power, a height of power. There is not a power that God cannot handle. He is able to do anything. We see this most uh, in raising Christ from the grave, dead to life. But we see this also in God speaking the world and the universe into creation. It was by the the spoken word of God that that the earth was created. And so when we come to something like a splitting of the Red Sea, we're not shocked by that. We believe it, that God can do things like that. In this passage, though, you have God uh, setting his people free and they're on their way to the promised land. And yet the the tables turn a little bit in that Pharaoh, the one who God had just done the ten plagues to, changes his mind yet again and starts to attack the people of Israel from behind. He goes after them. And yet God intervenes one time again to the hard-hearted rebellious people of Israel, God's people, and God saves them again. And it becomes the story, really the life story of God's people is that they find themselves in tough situations time after time. They find themselves in, in, in a predicament that they don't like and that they're scared and they're worried about and they start to doubt God in that and yet at the end of it all, God is still taking care of them. And I hope that this is your life story too. Hopefully, looking back, you remember last week one of my points in the sermon was remember where you came from. And I hope that when you are remembering where you came from, there are many times in the past where your life should have been ruined. And yet, somehow, in God's grace and His kindness toward you, He has kept you. I'll never forget a few years ago when God was saving David Wood. David and Brenda might remember this. A few years ago when, when God was saving David. You know, I remember David got baptized just a few years ago. And when we sat down and we're talking through all of that, and him coming to faith in Christ, he tells a story of years ago he was in a bad car accident. Maybe even a motorcycle accident, but I can't remember where he should have died. A really, really, really bad one. And as we sat down and talked, David said he can't believe, even with tears, he cannot believe that for this long of his life he did not trust Christ and that now God is saving him. I remember David crying, speaking about how Brenda had come into his life to speak the truth to him so that even at this stage, about 80 years old, he would get saved. And then he looks back and he says, "What?" Now I think I understand why God let me live through that bad car accident. Because you cannot die without Christ and be safe. My dad tells a similar story. When he was about 20 years old, this would be about 1970, he was uh, a bit wild. And him and his best friend uh, were in Florida and no longer wanted to be there. And they needed to get back to Charlotte, North Carolina. So they hitchhiked from Panama City, Florida, back to Charlotte. Something that, that, that today, honestly, would be unheard of, mostly. I cannot imagine a 20-year-old doing that. Um, but they hitchhiked. They, they literally thumbed on the side of the road in 1970 to get back to Charlotte. And it worked. They made it. He's my dad. I mean, he was just here last Sunday. But he tells the story that at one point they didn't have anywhere to stay and nobody was picking them up. And so they found an abandoned school bus to sleep in. And as 20 year olds just looking for a place to sleep, they just found the bus, got in went to sleep. Well, when they were awoken by the police, they, they noticed that all the windows were busted out, which they didn't notice when they got into it. My dad tells the story that this was, a you know, a a dumb, immature, rebellious time of his life. And he doesn't really know how he made it out to eventually, you know, get married and settle down and be a decent human being. But he looks back and says, man, those years were rough. I've heard so many people tell me stories of, of how they were so poor. They didn't know how to look up. They didn't know where the next meal or dollar was going to come from. They felt like there was nobody that really loved them. They felt like there was really no support in their lives. Nobody really cared for them. And yet they made it past it. And what I want us to see today is that the answer to that is not really that I'm so tough or that I'm so focused or that I just I know how to handle my we- myself so well that I made it out. Really, what the message there is, is that God, in His strong hand, whether you give Him the credit or not, has been preserving your life. Whether you have bowed your knee to Him and and, and given Him glory for it or not, is, is, is beside the point right now. It is God who has kept you. It is God who has been gracious to you. And we're going to see this again in Exodus chapter 14. I intend today to cover the whole chapter. With four points. The first is the reason of God. The reason of God. The second, the readiness of the ungodly. The readiness of the ungodly. The third, the reality of the godly. The reality of the godly. And number four, the reward of trusting God. Number one, the reason of God. Number two, the readiness of the ungodly. Number three, the reality of the godly. And number four, the reward of trusting in God. Start with me, if you will, at Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of P. haharoth between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it. By the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Number one is the reason of God. Notice, we have just spent the first 13 chapters of the book of Exodus watching God battle, God go to task with Pharaoh and the Egyptians on... Them being slaves, the people of Israel being slaves in Egypt and them wanting out, needing to be set free, and Moses being led by God keeps going to Pharaoh and keeps saying, let my people go, let God's people go, and yet Pharaoh doesn't want to. And so God brings plague upon plague upon plague to them and they don't. And then finally, the last is the worst, the death of the firstborn. Pharaoh finally says, enough's enough, get out, take everything, go, 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 and they go. And so that's where we're at. They are gone. They are done with Egypt. They are done with Pharaoh, or so you thought. And yet God doesn't stop there. It is still not enough that God wants to show His glory, show His name. Now, you remember back on the ten plagues, every time I would remind you that this is not necessarily just judgment that God is bringing. This is God wanting to display that He is God. There should be nobody on the planet, that does not recognize God as great and holy and glorious and worthy. God made human beings that God would receive worship from them. God made us that we would bow our knee and say, God, you are awesome. God, you are great. God, you are deserving of all of my energy and effort and love. God made us for that. That's why he made us. If there is a human being in this room or in this state or on this globe, that does not see their heart crying out for God, they are wrong. And God's desire is to display this however He will. This is what He's doing with Pharaoh. And so the people of God are now in the Exodus. They are leaving, and now they're going, and they are wandering, and God then tells them, speaks it to Moses, to do this. To turn back. So they're going this way and God says, well, why don't y'all make a turn? Now, remember, this is over a million people traveling to the promised land to where God's going to lead them. But he tells them to turn. And they go here. And they go through this little town and through this little town. And then they end up here. and, and, And you're wondering, well, why is God doing that? That's why I'm saying this is the reason of God. Why does God stop them from going to the Promised Land again, and He has them turn back into encamp at Pe Haharoth, and then between Migdol and the sea? And next thing you know, God has journeyed His people into a place where it looks like they're lost. They've got desert on one side, they've got the sea on one side, they've got where they just came from. They don't want to go back there. Like, what are they doing? God's supposed to be leading them into into the promised land. And now God has them kind of wandering. It even says that in verse 3. Pharaoh is going to look. Notice, Pharaoh let them go, but he's kept his eye. He's kept his ear on how they're doing. And God knows that this story's not over. It'll be over by the end of chapter 14. But it's not over right now. And God knows that Pharaoh's still eyeing them. Pharaoh's heart is still hard. And so, he knows that Pharaoh now is going to see them wandering, and he's going to think that the wilderness, verse 3, has shut them in. In other words, he's going to say, they're trapped. And if they're trapped and stuck there with nowhere to go, then Pharaoh's going to think, we can go get them. We're going to run these people down. We're going to capture them because we're stronger than them. We're going to capture them. We're going to bring them back to Egypt. And we'll be back where we started, back at chapter 1. Slaves who were serving us. We'll be the greatest. That's what Pharaoh thinks. And in our minds, we've got to be thinking, why, why, why? Why would God do this? And look what he says there, verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory. Now I'm telling you, if you read your Bible, you will see this theme on every page. It is for His glory. In our catechisms with the little children, we teach them, who made you? God made me. What else did God make? God made all things. What's the third question? Why did God make you in all things? And the answer in three words, or four words for, for the kids is very simple. For his own glory. God made me. God made everything else. He made that sunset. He made that ocean. He made this barking dog for his own Glory. Everything is for the glory of God. That's why he made it. And if, if this little situation that to us looks like a, a horrible tragedy, now they're lost, they're wondering, they're trapped, and the, the bad guys are coming to attack them again, it looks devastating to us. God says, no, nah, it's not devastating. I'm going to get even more glory through this. I will display it yet again that I am God. And more people are going to notice that I am God. The maker, the sustainer, the preserver of all creation. I'm the glorious one. I am the holy one who never sins. I am God. Look what it says after that. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And look what it says next. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. God wants them to know He is the Lord. He is God. So we ask, what's the reasoning of God in why He does things, right? So many times people in the world ask the question, why? It's what we do. Back in chapter 13, I pointed out in verse 8, I pointed out in verse 14, that God even says that your children are going to ask. You remember me saying this last week? And when in time your son comes to ask you, what does this mean? is another way of wording the word why. God says your children are going to ask. I preached on that last week. And when your children start asking questions, we need to have an answer. When folks start asking questions, we need to have an answer. What's the reason why God does what He does? So that people would know that He's the Lord. So that people would know He's the glorious One. If you think about it, this is what all of our lives consist of? A whole bunch of whys. Why in the world did I have to get that stinking speeding ticket in 2003 on my way to visit Louisville, Kentucky? Because it was through that speeding ticket that I had to find somebody to help me. And the person out of nowhere that God brought me to meet was Josh Powell, the the, the current pastor of this church. If I had not gotten that speeding ticket, which believe me, I didn't want it. If I had not gotten that speeding ticket, I would have never been connected with this church 11 years ago. Should I be mad that I got the speeding ticket Well, mad that I disobeyed and sped, but not mad that God let it happen? Now I love you all. Right. Our lives consist of these things all the time. I was going to one college, happy, loving it there. And for some weird reason, God shifted all that up. And I traveled 800 miles this way and then 200 miles this way to go to a different college. I had never even heard of that college. Why did I do that for the last two years? It doesn't make sense to me. But it was at that college that I met Val. Am I glad that I went to three colleges in four years? Not really. Am I glad I met Val? Oh, yeah. Our lives are consisting of why's. And yet, we don't need to find these, like, weird answers to it. We need to understand that God has a reason in it. Do y'all remember in John chapter 4 when Jesus meets the woman at the well? You remember that one? And he tells her about the living water and all of that? Do you remember at the beginning of that passage where it says, and Jesus traveled through Samaria, but he didn't have to? Do you remember that? And, and you ask, well, why did he go through Samaria? He wasn't supposed to travel through Samaria. Jews don't have dealings with the Samaritans, right? It says that. And you're like, well, why did he? And then you get to the end of the passage, you're like, oh, God led him through there because he had to have an encounter with that woman. Do you remember in the book of Philemon where there's this guy Onesimus that was a runaway runaway slave thief from his slave owner, Philemon? And it says that he ran away and made it to Rome where he runs into Paul in prison. But in prison, Paul preaches to him and he gets saved. You think he's glad that he stole and glad that he ran away and glad that he ended up in prison? No, but guess what happened in prison? He met Paul and God saved him. There's a reason why God lets certain things happen in your life. There really is. And we're not here today to make ourselves proud because we made it through and we're so tough. Man, I'm a fighter, man. I can go through anything. That's a stupid answer. Fighters are going to die. And if they die without God, they're in trouble. Our thoughts should go to, there's a reason why God made me this way. There's a reason why God orchestrated my life through these things. And yet He kept me through it. What is the reason of God? That He would get glory. And that you would know that He is the Lord. The keeper, the helper, the preserver. The reason of God. Number two. The readiness of the ungodly. Keep reading in verse five. So God said that Pharaoh would notice in verse three. And now look at verse five. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? My point for number two is the readiness of the ungodly. And if you're listening to any point today, listen to this one. Folks, people who don't really love God are so ready and eager to turn back to sin. This is a hard truth for you to hear, but this is a real truth. The ungodly are so ready to turn back to their sin. You give an ungodly person an excuse to do wrong, and they will jump all over it. They'll try their best to not slander and gossip, but you invite them into a slander and gossip conversation, and they're all over it. They'll try their best to remain uh, pure sexually, but as soon as the opportunity arrives, they're okay with it, and they'll offer up excuses. Well, they really do love each other and they're going to get married one day and this and that and this and that. Well, it wasn't really all that bad or this and that or this and that. Well, everybody does it or this and that and this and that. The only thing that will keep you straight and narrow is God. God inside of you, burdening your heart and yet driving you to love him. The readiness of the ungodly is that they are ready to please self. And notice that many of people have tried to walk the straight and narrow, but only those who have a conviction from God himself will stick to it. The readiness of the ungodly to to turn back. The readiness of the ungodly to sin. Notice here, Pharaoh hears of it and he says, What are we doing? Why Why did we do this? Why did we let Israel go from serving us? Do everybody see that question he asked in verse five? Why did we let them go from serving us? In other words, he's he's thinking, let's get them back. We can have them serving us. Why did we even let them go? Hey, real quick, why did he? Because God just killed all of the firstborn in the whole nation. Is he a sinful, prideful man, or is he a sinful, prideful man? He has already forgotten the blood in every single household. Do you remember when it said there wasn't even a single household that had not been hit with death? He's already forgotten that. And in his pride, he's thinking, oh, there they are. They're there wandering in the wilderness. Why do they even let them go? He's already forgotten the hand of God upon him saying, Pharaoh, you must know that I am God. You don't go against me. He's already forgotten that. He's already back elevating himself up in pride thinking, no, I want workers. I want people to serve me so people so know that I'm the king of this great nation. Nobody goes against me and I'm going to get them. What pride? How can he quickly default back into that sinful mindset? He had just said, God, I'm wrong. Go. He had just said that. And you see here the readiness of the ungodly to jump back into it. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now. If you're living for God and loving God and obedience to God is done in your own strength and efforts, it is not going to last. Next week, next year, soon, you'll be back into what you started with. I had a hard conversation with a brother this week. Who told me, he, he says, I, I just don't think I can come back around. God's not going to forgive me of my sins. I've I messed up too much. I thought to myself, a part of our church. I thought to myself, who are you listening to? The very things that you're saying right now are keeping you from God. Are the very things that were driving you to God just a little bit ago. Folks, we come to God because we are sinners. Do you understand that? But with the Lord, Psalm 130, there is forgiveness. We don't come to God because we've sinned or because we think we haven't sinned. We come to God because in our sins, he will forgive us of our sins. That's the way God is. If you are thinking that your sins are keeping you from God, well, then you're right. But you're just in the mindset of an unbeliever. Your sins are keeping you from coming to God because you don't believe in who God is. If you are a believer in God, then you know that your sins can be forgiven by God. That God loves you. That God welcomes you by the blood of Christ killed on the cross. Look at our passage at verse 6. So Pharaoh made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took six hundred chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them Encamped at the sea by Pi-Haharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. He goes and gets them. What a tragic story. You would think that if all of the children in your nation, under your reign, the firstborn had just been killed because you refused to let the prisoners go, that that, you would never get over that, right? If you ever had one baby die, you've never gotten over it. It hurts that much. But if there's an opportunity to get man's praise, opportunity to stick your chest out and let everybody know how great you are. Sinners will jump all over that in a second. I remember one time at UPS, somebody found a way to break the snack machine. And it was full of snacks. Vending machine. And it was unbelievable how many people flocked to it. Like everybody that was there working in our wing. They were all there. And one guy had his hand up in there just pulling them out. The buttons were working. It was just broken. And they were just passing them out like this. Everybody was willing to take a drink. Everybody was willing to take a bag of chips. You give somebody the opportunity to take something that's not theirs, while whoever owns the vending machine is losing money, people jump all over it. Was that Jefferson Mall Dillard's on Friday night? It's about 9 o'clock, time for them to close. I'm waiting on Val. Standing right there at the door, really waiting on her. All of a sudden, three, three boys, about 20 years old. Arms full of shoe boxes. About four or five each. Bolted to the door. Took off sprinting through the parking lot. Jumped in the car and drove off. Had about 15 pairs of shoes total. Jeans and shoes scattered out the doorway. The lady working there, screaming and yelling, calling for the cops or whatever. You give somebody an opportunity to sin. If they don't love God, they will. Hey listen, not in every way possible. I'm not saying that there's not lost people out there that are good folks. There are. But that doesn't mean they're not sinning. The readiness of the ungodly to sin and rebel is there. Give them a chance they will. Give them a chance to justify it they will. Check your own heart. One cannot continue doing right if God is not their desire. Remember when Jesus says that His yoke is easy and His burden is light? You remember when the commandment said that the law of God is not burdensome? There is a person... Who strives for obedience. There is a person who desires to obey God. That's the one who God has captured their hearts and made them new and saved them. It's the godly, not the ungodly. You remember when Tripley said, I'm nothing special, just a vessel. Service makes me happy. It's a reality that there are people That enjoy service. They're called the godly. They're called those whose hearts have been made new by God. Notice in this passage. That Pharaoh who has just brought his nation under the great judgment of God. By himself. Even the Egyptians were saying Pharaoh you're making things worse. (laughs) Pharaoh should have recognized that he needed God. But he didn't. And as soon as he had chance again, you would think that Pharaoh would be back in Egypt mourning over the judgment and the death that had come upon his nation. Instead, as soon as he sees a glimpse to go and attack those people and overtake them and bring them back, he jumps on it. It's awful. You remember when the Proverbs say, that, like a dog who returns to his vomit, it's the man who returns to his sin. Are you here today and you've been sick multiple times because you did it again? You fell back into it again? Were you here today that on our own strength we can't stop sinning? We just. And we don't dismiss it that uh, it just means you're human. Everybody does it. We call it what it is. A spade's a spade. Sin is wrong. And it comes off of our hearts that are showing us that we are wrong. The reason of God doing what He does is for His glory. And the readiness of the ungodly to sin is apparent. Don't deny it. Confess it. Thirdly, the reality of the godly Is a complete dependence upon God. Look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. That's right. They look back, they see Pharaoh and the people coming, and they were scared. And so what do they do? The people of Israel cried out to the Lord. I'm telling you that the reality of what it means to be a child of God is that you always, non-stop, 24-7, every second of the day, every day for the rest of your life, are completely and utterly and totally dependent upon God. There is not even a day. There is not even an effort. There is not a marriage, a relationship, a bill. Nothing that you can do without complete dependence on God. And as soon as you think you are standing on your own, Beware, lest you fall, the Bible says. The reality of the godly is that there is never an independence from God. The reality of the godly is that there is never an independence from God. Never, never, never. I will not be the dad that I'm supposed to be or the husband I'm supposed to be if I ever think that I can do it without God. You will never be the child of God that you're supposed to be, obedient to God, loving Him, if you think that you can do it without God. And you see this here. So they see them coming and they cry out to God, which is the right thing to do. But watch in verse 11. Then they said to Moses, they cried out to God. That's right in verse 10. But in verse 11, they've changed now. And now they are saying to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you would have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Three questions that are showing to us that they have already abandoned ship to what? To the promise of God. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 and God has said to them, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to take you to your land. That's the promise of God. It's been the promise of God all along. It's the promise of God at the beginning of Exodus. It's the promise of God at Exodus 14. And it's going to be the promise of God all the way until they get to the promised land in the book of Joshua. Okay, this is what God has promised them. And here they are set free. they a little bit stuck in the wilderness. They look back. The Egyptians are coming after them again. And they've already completely abandoned the promises of God. I want to ask you if you're that quick to give up on God. I want to ask you if one hard day in the midst of 50 good days causes you to doubt everything that God has said. I want to ask you if your faith is, 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 is that limited, that shallow, that uninformed that you think a bad day means that God might not be right. And then I want to encourage you to let the Word of God really be an anchor. To let it really be a foundation. To let it really be a solid rock that is not like sinking sand that you are able to stand upon that will hold you up forever and ever and ever and ever. Do you have a foundation in what God has said? I can't believe that just because they see the Egyptians coming after them that they're already giving up, they're already complaining to Moses and they're already thinking we're about to lose. <laughs> Folks, you know the story and that God keeps His promises. They are not going to lose. Because God is the one who will take care of them, and they've already forgotten it. That easily. O oh, ye of little faith. That's what Jesus would say in the New Testament. Keep reading. Verse, verse 12. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They're already conceding death. Verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. What a picture here of the godly's perspective against the ungodly's perspective. What a picture here of one person says, listen up, that one person says, my circumstances are what define, what inform my understanding on life. It looks like somebody's coming to attack me, so I'm gonna die. The other person says, it looks like somebody's coming to attack me, but God says they're not, so I'm gonna live. Matter of fact, this will be the last time I ever see them. I don't know how it's about to happen, but God's about to come and kill them. Two totally different perspectives, looking at the same thing. Talk about a difference of worldview. Talk about a difference of lens that you see in your life. I want to ask you at the the way you look at your life. I'm not talking half full, half empty. I'm not talking optimistic, pessimistic. I'm talking about through God and, and who He is and His promises or not through your own lens. Our circumstances should not be determining whether we're going to trust in God or not. That's dumb. That is not Christianity. If you're trusting in God when your circumstances are good, then you're not trusting in God. Trusting in God is that God has said this and I believe it. Now, if you want to take that a little bit further, Jesus has even told us that there are going to be quite a few times when our circumstances are not good. Don't let it be a wake-up call to you when your circumstances go bad in Christianity. It happens. Bills overwhelm us. Cars break down. Families fight. We lose our jobs. People get sick. People get mad. That happens. That doesn't mean that God's not there. That doesn't mean that God's Word's not true. That doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. That means you're alive. And what it means to be a believer is to say, okay, what has God told me? And how do I go toward it? The people of Israel see the Egyptians attacking. They freak out. They ask all these questions to Moses. We're about to die. Moses looks and sees the same thing and says, stand firm. Be strong. Watch the Lord fight for you. This will be the last time you see these guys. And Moses doesn't even know what's about to happen. He just knows that God made a promise. I want to ask you if you know that God's made a promise to you in Christ. That He will never, ever leave you. That He will never forsake you. In Psalm 78, you don't have to turn there. The psalmist writes about All that has happened in the life of Israel. In verse 13. Well, let me let me wait on that wait on that because I haven't even read this passage yet. Let's keep going. Verse 11. Sorry, verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. So we see there yet again, God showing the reason for what he's doing. I will get glory and I will show them and they will know. They will know that I am the Lord. He says that. But look how he's going to do it. In a way that is completely... Unthinkable. Nobody could have ever thought God split the sea. You might have thought God make us walk on water. You might have thought God build us a boat. Nobody thought split the sea, dry up the land underneath, and we'll just keep going. Nobody. Do you see how the circumstances cannot determine our faith in God? We're talking to the One who created it all and holds it all together by the Word of His power. We're talking to the One who has already proven that He can make 90-year-old women who have been barren for their whole lives have children. We're talking to the One who preserved a man and caused him to be able to build a boat when he flooded the whole world and killed everything else. We're talking about the one who is able to do whatever he wants to do. And if he promised his people that he will take care of them, then we don't know how it's going to happen. But one thing you can take to the bank and you can count on, he will take care of them. The last option, which should not be an option, is that we're going to die. They're not going to die. God's got them the reality of the godly folks is that they always must depend on God. And as soon as your circumstances turn for the worse, you ought to look up. You ought to bow down. You ought to turn to Christ and say, Father, lead me, teach me, keep me, serve me. God, take care of me. And He will. That's what this passage is teaching us. Now, what I was referring to, Psalm 78 The psalmist is recalling all that God has done to be able to take care of them. And in verse 13 he says, He divided the sea and let them pass through it. He made the waters stand like a heap. When he's thinking back to how God has taken care of them and led them and preserved them, one of the things that he recalls of the many, because Psalm 78 is a long psalm, one of the things that he recalls is that God divided the waters to let us go through. In other words, he is remembering that God is a faithful God, a good God who takes care of his people, and he knows that circumstances don't define him. God's promises do. And so it should be with us. You know, we live in a world where everybody's worried about who they are and what they're defined by. And yet the Bible tells us that we can be made new in Christ. The Bible says that when Christ died on the cross, he was dying for our sins. And that God took the sins of the world and placed them on Christ. In other words, the Bible says that that Jesus became our sin and shame. And so whatever it is, even, even my guy that I was telling you all about who says he can't come back, he's sinned too much. The very gospel message that the Bible brings us to is that Jesus became that. If you've got sin and shame, well, I've got good news for you. Jesus became that on the cross. And whatever it is today that you are guilty of and shameful for, Jesus gladly took it. And whoever believes that gets made Clean and washed clean by the blood of Christ through faith. I love it that Troy stood up here and pointed out that song that we've been made white by the blood of Christ. The reality is, is that your circumstances in life don't have to define you if you will come to Christ. The reality for the believer, for the godly, is that yes, I'm a mess. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I've done wrong. Yes, I'm guilty. And yes, I'm shameful. But Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. My identity is not in what I've done. My identity is in what Christ has done. And this is what I'm saying here, is that the reality for the godly is that we always live in that and we never get outside of it. There is never a time, listen up, especially if you're going through some trials right now, there is never a time when you have come to faith in Christ, and you're like, okay, God fixed my problems, and then all of a sudden you start following Him and are expecting no problems. Never, 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 never. I wouldn't be surprised if my car breaks down going to the airport on Thursday. Stuff like that happens. And it doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. It doesn't mean I shouldn't go. It doesn't mean I did something wrong. It means that's life, honestly. Things happen. Circumstances don't define it. You know what it could very well mean? It could mean that Satan knows we're about to go, go down there and preach the gospel hardcore and people are going to get saved. And so Satan's trying to stop it and God's just saying, God, rejoice in it. Rejoice in it. Keep going. I got you. I got you. I got you. Don't you hate how the Egyptians are? And don't you hate it when you're that way too? Oh no, here they come. They're coming to get me. My life's over. This stinks. I'm awful. Worst day ever. How often do you hear somebody say, worst day ever? It happens a lot. We let circumstances define us. And then you see Moses. Can you can you imagine that conversation? Now, we don't get a lot of the conversation in the book of Exodus, but can you imagine? You got about a million people going, They're coming, we're going to kill us. Why'd you even take us out of Egypt? Why are you taking us here? Why didn't you, why not you just let us die there? Or I'd rather be there serving them. But Moses, why'd you do this? We're about to die here. And Moses looking up, going, Oh, they're coming, dude. They're coming. There are lots on six hundred chariots, people everywhere, a million people, they're coming for us. Y'all ready? They're coming. Hey, watch this. Stand firm. Be strong. Hey, listen here, Israelites. Let me me remind you something. You can't go against God. Don't you remember? Pharaoh tried to go against him. Pharaoh tried to go against him. You can't. You cannot go against God. And the children of God know this. Believe this. Live by this. If I've got God, I'm good. He will take care of me. The promise goes time and time again that He will never leave us or forsake us. Lastly, the reward for trusting Him. Verse 19. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Notice that we saw in chapter 13 that the presence of God was there in a pillar of cloud by day, in a, in a pillar of fire by night. So it moves now. Notice. It moves from the front of them to the back of them. Do you see that in verse 19? God's presence moved from the front of them to the back of them. What's that show us? Listen. That God went from leading them... To protecting them. He was out in front leading them. They were following him. But when danger came, what did he do? He shifted to protecting them. I'm going to guard you. Moses believed it all along. Verse 20, "...coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, and there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night." Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. God did that. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground and waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. Look, all of a sudden, he started making the dry land back muddy. Do you see that? What was easy to travel on turned back into mud and their wheels clogged up. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them. Against the Egyptians. Folks, here's your reward if you'll trust God. He's got your back. Here's your reward when you surrender to Christ. God won't let you fall. Here's your reward when you follow Christ. He will protect you. The Egyptians knew this just a few chapters before. They had come to this same conclusion at the tenth plague. But because their readiness to get back to sin, they neglected it and turned from it. They didn't remember where they came from. Keep reading, verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. Listen, folks. And the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled into it. The Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. What was the reason of God? That everybody would know. That they would get it. That they would trust him. That they would believe. The Egyptians didn't. Pharaoh didn't. And so they were destroyed. The people of God were reminded yet again, yet again. The reward for trusting in God is that you get God. What a joy it is to say that I am the Lord and the Lord is mine. What about Psalm 16 where it says that in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. The nearness of God, the presence of God is something that will keep you and satisfy you and comfort you no matter what the circumstances are. Not trusting in the presence of God will cause you to trust in your circumstances. And trusting in your circumstances will lead your life into all types of turmoil. A couple years ago, I was at the King of the Bluegrass tournament. And was working for FCA and we got to go into the locker room and talk to... The team's about Jesus. Well, if the team won, that was awesome. They were happy. Coach was all happy. He'd love for us to talk to him. But if the team lost, it was awful. And you didn't want to go talk to a losing team. Coach chews them out. And then I come in and try to be nice to him about Jesus. I got to talk to Central. Central's basketball team. And they had just beaten... Uh, I think it was E-Town, one of the schools in E-Town that had Stefan Pettigrew, great player, division one player, ended up playing at Western Kentucky, big time star. I think he had 50 points in the game and Central beat them. Central didn't even have a big man, they pressed the whole game and knocked off Pettigrew's team The king of bluegrass. I went into the locker room right after that game and Central's coach, I think his name's Bibby, Central's coach was so happy and excited, he kept yelling this to his team. Listen men, listen men, never too high, never too low. Never too high, never too low. Never too high, never too low. Bad games don't get us too low. Good games don't get us too high. We know who we are and we stay there. That's a good word for a team. That's an even better word for the child of God. Circumstances don't make us too high. Circumstances don't make us too low. Circumstances don't create our joy, really. Now, there's bad days where we're not so happy and good days where we're pretty happy. But our strength is in God. Our confidence is in Him. His love for us. His keeping of us. We're never too high, never too low. There are going to be days this week where some ignorant person comes into your life and makes your day awful. It shouldn't ruin you. It shouldn't make you come undone. It shouldn't make you stop being who you are. And in the same way, you might have the best day ever. And when that happens... Don't act like all's well. Don't act like bad days aren't coming. Don't act like tragedy and bad news doesn't come. Let's remember who we are. Let's remember whose we are. That we are God's, trusting in Christ, and He will keep us. Chapter 14 ends with the people of God reminded of that, and the the, the Egyptian people destroyed because they were yet quick to jump back into sin. Which are you? Where's your heart? Do you trust God? Have you learned to not let circumstances make who you are? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this story of crossing the Red Sea. Thank you, God, for the the truth of the reason why God does what he does. The readiness of the ungodly to sin. The reality of the godly to be absolutely in need of you. And the reward of trusting in you. Father, I pray that we would be strong in you. Stand firm, Moses told him. God fights for us. Father, we pray that you would make us a confident people, but a confidence that is a humble confidence, knowing that it's really not us, that apart from you, we can do nothing. But in you, you do it for us. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, we love you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.